Hello, and welcome to Evaluand, the podcast about the land of evaluation between you and me, your host, Dana Linnell Wanzer. This is the show where we interview people about any and all things evaluation related. Welcome to another episode of Evaluand. Thanks to a wonderful listener for suggesting today's topic on the job market in evaluation. We had a previous earlier episode also on this topic. If you have any ideas for future topics or guests, please email me at podcast at Today, I'm pleased to have Bradley Neighbors on the podcast. He received his MPH and CPH from the University of South Florida and recently joined Johns Hopkins Hospital working as a Healthy Start program evaluator. Today, he's joining me to talk about how he got into his evaluation career from his current position in the recent job market. So Bradley, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Wanza, for having me. So my name is Bradley Neighbors. Um, I like to title my position Perinatal Perinatal Health Program Evaluator, and I'm with Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital in St. Petersburg, Florida. Awesome. Great. And I've, I'm so excited to talk about more about like how you got into this and, and um, how you got your recent position. But let's start from the beginning. How did you learn about evaluation? So I first learned about evaluation my second semester of my MPH program. So I wanted to get into research and get more involved, build up my resume and my CV. And there was a professor who at the time I didn't know she did evaluation work. I just was kind of captivated by her, the way she talked, the way she taught, just who she was as a person I was really drawn to. So I went to her office hours. I started asking her about different, the different research she had going on and different um, projects that I could possibly jump on. And that's where I kind of landed on her evaluation of a family violence prevention program. And so I started as a graduate assistant working with her. So that was my first, well, what I thought was my first glimpse of evaluation. Um, I forgot in my undergrad, I actually worked on a sexual health and healthy relationships program. And at the time I thought it was research, but it turned it later on, I realized it was an evaluation of a program. So I, when I started as a graduate assistant, we were working with the nonprofit. Um, so we were on site. And even then I was still like, this is more research. I didn't really think of it as evaluation. Um, so we were doing the data collection analysis and we did a few conference presentations. Um, And it was more towards the end of my graduate program after I had been working as an evaluation assistant for about a year and a half that I realized evaluation was the field I wanted to um, go into after school. That was my entrance into evaluation. Awesome. Was it was it that mentor at USF that got you like into the field of evaluation, would you say? Did she introduce you to like AEA and stuff like that? So she was my faculty mentor. So everybody had a faculty mentor. So after I started working for her, it just kind of made sense for her to also be my mentor, faculty mentor, like on paper, um, because she was already my mentor. What I felt was my mentor. She taught me a lot about evaluation, but it was all very specific to that family violence prevention program. So my thoughts of evaluation were very isolated to that program. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, joining AEA um, or really getting involved with any of the other um, organizations or really diving deep into evaluation just yet. It was more towards, like I said, the end of that um, end of my time as an evaluation assistant, where I realized this is what I want to do. So I joined AEA. um, That was before the Eval Youth North America chapter had started, Mm -hmm. but I had been looking into the the global organization. Um, I started to just 
dive into the literature on evaluation. I started buying books. Um, I think one of my favorite books was like the seminal pieces on evaluation by Carol Wise. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So that was my, that was kind of where I realized this is my career. So I tried to learn everything that I could about it and just really dove into the field. So it was very much more internally motivated for you to seek out what evaluation could look like as a career, mm-hmm. as opposed to you didn't really get that from necessarily from your undergraduate program or graduate yeah. program. Yeah. And I would say too, I, at the time I, I loved evaluation, but my research was focused on perinatal health disparities, specifically looking at the effects of everyday discrimination on pregnancy outcomes. And that's what I was passionate about. That is what I'm passionate about. But then I realized the application of evaluation and what it could do. So I kind of, in my career now, I was able to merge those two things. So I work in perinatal health as an evaluator. And that's, I mean, it's, it feels like it was made for me almost this position. Oh, that's so exciting. I love when that happens. So serendipitous. So do you also get to feel like you do a little bit of research in, in align with that position now too? Because you, you mentioned you get to kind of do both. Yeah. So I am almost like our residential researcher evaluator here. So a lot of the times when my um, supervisor is wanting to look into adding a new aspect to our program, or if our case managers, a new issue needs to come up, such as the, um, the baby formula shortage, I will do some like practical research, like in terms of that, like looking at what the health department's recommending and send that to all of our case managers um, or look into previous program evaluation reports, um, looking for the research evaluation, research literature and things like that. Um, I also do get to keep some of my research roles because I'm still working on a few manuscripts with um, old professors. So I would say that's kind of where my research aspects comes in more, more like academic type of research, which you think of when you think of research. Um, but I still get to explore different things that we could introduce into our program. So I could do, like I said, a lot of practical research and how we can translate that into our program. That sounds like a really fun position. Yeah. I know, and I feel like I actually uh, jumped the gun a little bit. Um, we should probably go back and talk about, so you got your MPH, you got your CPH, and then what did that job application process look like for you? Yeah. So like a lot of people, I think, especially today, the job application process is not fun. Um, (laughs) It's very stressful. It's very anxiety inducing. It can be almost demeaning too. When you don't hear back, you start to question like, am I, is this me? Am I smart enough for this? Am I not good enough? Um, So I applied, I'm trying to think probably like 50 plus jobs. I got, I think I had two interviews. It was, it was rough. And it really made me wonder, did I not do enough research during grad school? Did I not get enough practice? Um, so that took a while, but I was lucky. I was able to secure my position before, like oh, the week before I graduated with my master's. I, oh. got, I got the notification of this job on Monday and then walked on Friday. Wow. So it was very validating, one, because my whole family's coming. I come from a military family. Nobody's been to college. So they already have their doubts. They're coming down and I was able to, you know, say I got a good job in exactly what I wanted to do. So I felt very lucky and very grateful. But I know that that process, like, like I said, can be very hard. Um, I've experienced it. Yeah, I, I appreciate you being open about that, the hardship that comes along with it. Um, 
I also, as somebody supervising students also feel that hardship, you know, once removed, right. Just a little bit, but like, I also question myself, like, did I prepare them well enough? Like, what did I do wrong that, you know, they're not seeing the greatness of my students, you know, and it's really hard to, to put who you are into a cover letter and a resume and whatever application materials they're looking for. Right. Yeah. And it's also just so hard because those application processes are not like a easy thing. They can take hours to sit there and fill out an application, a cover letter. Um, and then you're expected to do that for, you know, 50 plus jobs. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of work. And you have to tailor it for each one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just setting aside the time because also you're still in school. Like I was still, I was doing um, a couple internships. Um, I wasn't taking classes anymore, but I was doing a couple internships. I was still a graduate assistant for the evaluation that we were doing. And then I was also a graduate assistant for, um, the dean of our doctoral program. So I was, I was busy. So just, you know, you're getting done with the hard days of work and then you've got to go and apply for jobs, but it's not right. something you can just put off that so you have to do it. So like I said, it's a very stressful process, um, but it does bear good fruit. So I definitely, you know, don't give up is one of my big recommendations to people. It's just don't give up. Nice. Thank you. Um, so let's, I would like to dive into that because I think mm-hmm. the main purpose of today's episode is to talk and like help evaluators get into positions. And I think from um, your experience, I think what you could provide a lot of insight into is like what the application process was like for you um, and how we can help other folks in your position or in the position you were just in mm-hmm. recently um, to best prepare themselves to apply for the job that they're looking for. So um, I don't know, what is the kind of the first thing that comes to mind in, in thinking about the application process? Yeah, so for students that are wanting to go, specifically want to be go into evaluation, um, I, have like, I feel like I have t- three top recommendations. One I said before is don't give up, right? So don't give up your job search, but also don't limit yourself to job titles with evaluator in them, mm-hmm. because that's going to make it, you're going to limit yourself a lot, especially because those Evaluator specific roles are require so much experience. Um, are usually I, what I've seen is a lot of uh, consulting positions that are evaluators that require like five plus years experience um, yeah. and whatnot. So I would look into jobs like for me being in public health. A lot of roles that have evaluative capacities are public health analysts, um, other program analyst type positions, things like that. So you really just got to expand your job search. Um, I would look for job descriptions that have evaluation and monitoring in them. I know a lot of the public health, like the, the public health analyst ones, a lot of them have evaluation and monitoring capacities. So I would just expand your expand your job search. I know you want to be called an evaluator, but you're going to have to maybe expand those horizons a little bit. Um, my next recommendation would be to network like your life depends on it, because <laughs> oh, yeah. that's how a lot of our world today works is just networking. Um, and I know that can be really hard. It can be really anxiety inducing to just cold email somebody. That was something I had to get over and you have to get over because the worst thing you're going to get is they don't respond. So I would definitely recommend reaching out to people, utilizing the services you have, such as LinkedIn. I know a lot of people that like, oh, I don't ever update my LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn every day. I keep my, I keep everything updated. Um, that was actually how I did I applied for the position I have now through LinkedIn. Mm. Um, so I, again, I would recommend keeping your LinkedIn up to date, you know, 
interacting with people on there, whether it be liking a post every now and then or sending somebody a message. I've networked with other evaluators, not specifically to gain any you know type of connection or to get um, a job. I just wanted to meet other young and emerging evaluators. So I had like a friend of a friend. So I messaged her on LinkedIn and we had a nice little chat about evaluation. Um, so you just really have to network, get out there and talk to people. Um, so then my, my next recommendation would be to be a versatile applicant, able to operate in many capacities. And by that, I mean, while you're in school or if you're in that law between school and a job, it's to really get some hard skills down, such as data analysis. I recommend like learning the different softwares like R, SAS, FPSS, whatever field, or, I know different fields use different, um, different softwares. Um, but also I know a good skill to have, especially in evaluation today is data visualization. Um, and that was one I didn't really learn heavily in school. So I've been really um, following like Stephanie Evergreen, uh, buying her books and different things like that, just to up my own skills. Um, so I would re recommend working on various skills um, just to really build your resume, but also build yourself as a professional that can operate in this world. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to get into that networking and, you know, mm -hmm. diversifying your portfolio type thing. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I feel like from what I hear about you and your application experience, there might be a fourth one that I think might have been really beneficial for you. It just sounds like you're very um, personally motivated to do this job well, right? And that mm -hmm. you you personally sought out opportunities and learning experiences to help you get the position um, you know, in some ways that sounds like how I was when I was a grad student and how I still am. It's like, if I want to learn something, I'm going to, I'm going to go learn it. Right. As opposed to wait for my graduate school to offer a course in that or whatever it might be. Um, like I learned R mostly on my own because I felt like this is the way it's going and I need to be on top of that. And I, and, you know, stuff like that. And so I feel like that kind of drive is also something that a lot of organizations are really seeking, especially um, and I don't know if this is, you know, pertains to your position, but I feel like, especially in the positions where you are the data person in the unit that you're working in, right? Mm -hmm. Like they want to know, it's like, I need to do this. And you can't just be like, well, I've never done multi-level modeling, so I can't help you versus, mm -hmm. oh, I've never done that. I'm so excited to learn. Give me, you know, a couple of weeks, but I'll come back to you and like, I'll do this and this, and, you know, let's do this. It sounds so exciting. Right. Yeah. And I definitely for, um, students wanting to go into evaluation, especially me coming from a public health program. I took one evaluation class, but it was so surface level. It was mm -hmm. a research and evaluation. It was a very surface level class. Um, I couldn't tell you one thing I learned about evaluation from that that I didn't already know um, is that you really do need to seek out these opportunities. And a big recommendation for anybody that's still in school is get like your job starts and your career starts now. It started when you got into that program. You need to start talking to professors and getting out and seeking out these opportunities. Cause I knew a lot of people that just went through our master's program, just did the classes and now are struggling to find jobs. Whereas I was a graduate assistant for a few too many professors. Maybe I, my plate was very full, but I, it really, really helped me because all of the skills that I learned, especially with like applied data analysis, um, all of that I learned while as a graduate assistant on the job. Right. And then again, with the, with, evaluation not being, how do I say this? Um, without there being a whole lot of evaluation programs, I mean, I, I know that there are a few and they're out there. Um, you really do have to learn a lot of this on your own. 
Um, but the resources are there. The resources are out there to learn a lot of this. Um, and a lot of it, you're not going to learn until you're on the job. Like what you mentioned with the data analysis, a lot of the data analysis that I do, I've had to learn on the job. And you can't just, I can't, you can't just say no. Um, you have to go out and learn it. I mean, I was just having a conversation with one of my students um, who was applying for a job and they were doing some sort of skills test or whatever. And the skills test involved merging data sets. And I was like, dang, that I, I, it's been in the back of my head. It's something I've not taught in any of my courses. And I teach a, a fair number of the research methods courses that they take and stuff. And um, part of it is a limitation of the particular software program that we're using. It doesn't allow for it. Um, but then, so like all of it, it's going through my head, right? It's like, should I have taught that? And then I think back to when I was a grad student, when did I learn how to merge a data set? It was on the job. It was in a particular evaluation experience that required it. And I learned how to do it on my own. Um, in SPSS, it is an awful process to learn and it is so annoying, you know, R does it a lot better, but, you know, needless, like I learned it on the job and, you know, have being open to learn it on the job. One more thing I heard from you is, um, the fact that you made so many connections to grad, uh, to faculty at your university probably helped a lot with your networking as well in mm -hmm. that you had people who could write you solid letters of recommendation, um, for the jobs that you're applying to versus the students that just kind of come in, come out and just kind of, you know, head down, just, you know, do what they need to do to pass and get their degree. It's really hard to write a letter for somebody like that. Mm -hmm. I would also say a lot of that networking is how I like navigated to what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. I, when I came into my program, my, so my, my master's is in public health. My concentration is global health. My bachelor's is in public health, but I had a concentration in global health. That was always the plan was to join the Peace Corps or something like that after it was evaluation was not on my mind until really, like I said, the end of my program is where I was like, I want to be an evaluator. Um, so those connections are what helped guided me into perinatal health. Um, I am like, this is my field. I know that there, that's like a debate of if you should specialize or be broad. I specialize and I plan on being a perinatal health program evaluator for my whole career pretty much um, because I love it that much. So. Yeah, I think it's just finding what you're passionate about, um, whether that's an, I mean, whether that's an evaluation or not. Um, I mean, even though all fields have evaluation, and especially today, that is growing a lot. A lot of there's a lot more opportunities to evaluate in um, various fields of interest. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a fifth recommendation of uh, you know be willing to experiment and try new things. Like I, I always. I always told students coming into our graduate program, you know, when I was a grad student and incoming students, like this is the time to experiment, find out what you're passionate about, find out what you like, what you don't like. Um, if you want to be that specialist versus a generalist, whatever it might be like, this is the time to figure it out. Um, because you can go figure that out. For example, once you get into, you know, your first job or whatever it might be, but it's a lot harder. Yeah, I think it's a lot harder and it's harder to pivot once you get there, right? Mm -hmm. um, versus yeah. grad school, I think it's expected and especially undergrad, it's expected to kind of figure figure it out at this point and start start experimenting and trying new things. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think it's kind of what you said, experimenting, but also not, not doing other activities, of getting involved with other research projects that aren't necessarily what you want to do, but if you look at them for what the skills you can get out of them. Like when I was evaluating that family, when we were evaluating the family violence prevention program, it was essentially like a parenting program with family educators and other wraparound services. And that's not what I wanted to go into. I knew it wasn't, but 
but I wanted to work with that professor. I gained a lot of skills out of it. I realized I wanted to be an, an evaluator. And then I also pursued my research interest as well outside of that. So there are so many, especially in grad school, there's a lot of opportunities for you to expand your horizons, but also do the things that you want. So it's just that networking is like such a big piece, like getting out and talking to your professors and seeing what their research is, kind of narrowing, not even narrowing down, but getting into your your interest into what field you might want to go into is so important because you're when you like when you're in school, your career starts when you're in the first day of school. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I, I, I tell our students when they graduate, like you have two years of experience now, right? You don't have zero years. You have two years of experience, particularly given all the applied projects that we do in the courses and stuff. But I love your point that, you know, try to find what you can take away from from the various things that you're doing in grad school. Mm-hmm. It's very unlikely that 100% of what your grad school offers is exactly what you're interested in. Like, that's mm-hmm. fine. But <laughs> what can you take away from it from your for your future career? Mm-hmm. Like, um, most of our students don't come for our evaluation concentration. That's fine. Totally understand. Um, they're required to take the evaluation course sequence. Um, they're required to do the evaluation, but there's a couple of people who are like, well, I'm never going to do evaluation. Why should I care? And it's like, well, you want to go into data analysis. Like that's exactly what we're doing here. We're just doing it in a particular fashion, right? Um, you, you're going to have to learn how to work with people. You're doing group projects, Right. All these types of skills that you're learning just just because you do or don't want to go into evaluation or do or don't want to work in this particular field doing evaluation, like the skills are transferable. Yeah. And that's something I wanted to note, too, because it's funny that um, when we were talking about evaluation data analysis earlier, my coworkers, they they call me the data guy. Like they think that. I'm the data person. I was at the AEA Summer Institute last week and my in the first day my boss texted me and said, have fun at your data or your numbers conference. <laughs> so it's like evaluation is not just data. So if that's your perception, then go do a Google search. Yep. <laughs> um, and evaluation is not just data analysis. It's so much more than that. And I think that that is something so important to realize that you're not just going to be doing data all the time. So if maybe you're not the biggest data person, that shouldn't deter you from evaluation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the approaches to evaluation doesn't need to be a numbers thing, right? There are plenty of people doing really solid evaluation work from a qualitative perspective and paradigm and that, that might be the route that you want to go to. Right. Um, I, I'm I'm thinking back to the previous podcast episode we did on this topic with Dr. Aisha Boyce, um, who mentioned that she thought that more positions are looking for that quantitative analyst type person, but that doesn't mean that the qualitative positions don't exist if that's what you're more interested in. Mm -hmm. And I, for my job, so we are a federally funded program. So we report to the Human Resources and Service Administration. So our evaluation piece from them is just numbers. There are program benchmarks and performance measures, but there's opportunities for me to include other pieces into our evaluation. So I'm working on a proposal right now to use photo voice as part of our evaluation. Okay. So there's so many, there's so many approaches, so many things you can do, and it's not just numbers. You can incorporate so many different types of qualitative mixed methods. Um, it's really like the, there's so many options. I mean, it's just so awesome how many things you, different things you can do. So let's go back to the application process. Do you have tips for like writing a resume or cover letter that came up for you? Yeah, so I have been using a CV just because when I was a, when I was the a graduate assistant for our our dean of doctoral program, one of my jobs was to keep her seventy seventy seven page CV oh up to date. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> 
so like I pretty much modeled my CV after hers. It's definitely, it's only like two pages, but um, I think looking up a good format, I know a lot of universities post different formats um, and I know it's not a standardized thing, but one, avoid any like pictures, any, any, that's like my one big piece of advice. I've seen a lot of uh, my friends' CVs or resumes have had like a picture of them on it or have done in some type of almost look like a marketing font. Like we're not, it's, unless you're applying to a marketing job, like avoid that. Um, I would recommend for your cover letter coming up with a good template and then change, especially if you're like, you're gonna be applying to a lot of jobs is changing your cover letter. Obviously you have to change it every time, but I would come up with a good, I came up with like a good template and I would switch around things. Um, like when the, when the, I would change the skills on it when they were required, different skills were required for different jobs. So just keeping templates in a folder on your computer is probably going to be my best advice for applying. Unfortunately, a lot of um, companies require you to submit a resume and then for you to write it all into their system, yeah. which is, which is crazy, but that's just kind of the world we live in right now. So you kind of just have to uh, do that. Um, but yeah, so just keeping templates, I think is the best thing, but also having people look over it, um, having a friend or a professor or a mentor, uh, somebody that's in a higher uh, position that you have access to, to read over your resume um, and cover letter. Yeah. And then also another thing is reading your cover letter out loud. That's like yes. the biggest, always read out loud. Read all your stuff out loud. <laughs> read all your stuff out loud. Cause you'll notice, <laughs> you'll notice, I learned that the hard way. You'll notice really things that you wouldn't notice if you were reading it in your head. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that tip about templates. I, I think I did something similar. I didn't apply it when I was applying for faculty positions. Um, there, there's very few in evaluation. So I only applied for like six places when I applied, but um, each one was, um, I wrote one and then I just modified it a little bit for the next one. And it was like, I had like, I think the cover letter was like maybe five or six um, paragraphs long. I don't remember exactly. I remember there's one in particular and it was like a paragraph of like, what would I provide for you as an organization? That was the one that I really spent the most time in tailoring to them and their particular position and organization, because that's where I showed that I know who you are and I would be a good fit um, versus everything else was more like, who am I? And here's a summary of my resume um, that it's hard to kind of capture from the resume itself. Yeah. And definitely look into the organization you're applying for, research them, um, don't like if you're looking at their values don't include don't word for work include that in your cover letter because that's very obvious but definitely try to incorporate any of the company values or their mission statements little pieces of that um worded different but include that in your cover letter so it shows that you did your research and that you want to be there because you have similar values or are in agreement with their mission yeah and i think it helps also not just to say that you're in agreement but to like demonstrate yeah. how you're in agreement mm -hmm. right so like yeah. If um, an organization says that they really value um, equity and equitable approaches to their work, it's like, well, you know, I do an equitable evaluation type approach and here's what that looks like. And here's what I've done in the past that's used like an equitable evaluation approach or what I think that means versus, you know, just saying that you agree with it is like, you know, it feels kind of like, well, I don't know. Do I believe you? Are you just trying to, you know, schmooze mm -hmm. me? Right. Yeah. 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 And I definitely think that goes back to getting your, your career starts when you're in school. So if you kind of know a general area you want to go into, start working in that or get more experience. Um, Cause I had not worked in perinatal health evaluation specifically to like what healthy start was requiring, but I had done research in perinatal health 
and I had done evaluation. So I was able to talk about those together, about my passion, my passion for perinatal health, and then my experience with evaluation. So then thinking about the application process, you mentioned at the beginning how unfortunately heartbreaking it can be to not like hear back from a lot of places. So thinking of the, you said about 50 places that you applied to, how many do you think actually got back to you in some way, even if to say like, sorry, we're not considering you? Like six to 10, I want to say I got emails back, but they're never like timely emails. It's like emails, like a few months later where it's like, thanks. You know what I mean? And a lot of the emails you'll get back are not going to tell you why you didn't get the job. They're just going to say, we're considering another app, uh, another person. And to me, when it was like a few months later, I'd rather you just not email me back. Like, don't even tell me. I, I didn't like that. Um, but it's it seemed kind of rare that they'll actually get back to you. And I think that was one of the hardest parts was I'm applying to all these places and hearing absolutely nothing. Yeah. 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 So the, those of you who are listening who may be like, putting out job descriptions and stuff like that. Like, I feel like both of us might agree, like give a receipt that you like you've re- you know, received their application and then like give them updates periodically on how you're going with the process. Like, mm-hmm. cause yeah, I agree. It's very frustrating to not hear back for quite some time and just feel like, am I being considered? Are you being slow or like, am I just not being considered? And it's yeah. frustrating. Yeah especially when you're applying to so many jobs and you're just, it's like, you're not hearing anything back, which is normal for all the job seekers out there. You're not going to hear a lot back. So you just got to keep, you just got to keep persisting through. Yeah. Did you have like some sort of tracker that you use like an Excel spreadsheet or anything to like, you know, just track where you're applying and if you've heard back or anything like that? Um, So I probably should have, and that is definitely something good to keep so you can keep track of everything. I did not do that. I was just applying for jobs and I don't want to say that I was desperate, but maybe a little bit. I was like getting close to graduation. So I was just applying for as many things as I could. Um, I was looking more for towards evaluation, but also like I had mentioned earlier, expanding my horizons into public health analyst positions and things like that. Um, but I did not track them, but that is something that you should probably do if you are listening. Yeah, I think I think it might be helpful, especially if you are thinking it might take a while, which it sounds like it might for most folks going yeah. into it. I think that's a better like systematic approach, especially to like know who you've applied to. Because um, I think I, I applied to positions within the same company, um, different positions within the same company. And if you're not hearing back from one position, you know, for like a few months, maybe maybe look at a different company. Right. So that would help, that would help you track that. I would re- definitely recommend that. Cool. And so you sent out all your applications. You heard back from a small amount of them. You got two interviews though, which is very exciting. So yeah. do you want to talk about that interview process? Like how did you prepare for it? How did those go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, like I said, I only really got two um, interviews back, which was, I was like, am I not smart enough? I'm not good enough. But I tried to just not even think about that, especially going into the interviews. Um, so one of them was with a program at the school that, at University of South Florida where I did my did my master's. And so I did some research on that specific program. Um, I did some research on the, the PhD who was going to be doing the hiring and was leading the program um, so that I could go in and be like be prepared to talk to them, but also kind of mention how my past experience and research is similar to their past research 
and how that will be relevant to the job in front of us. Um, and I think for my for the position that I'm in now here at Healthy Start, I definitely I did a lot of research on Healthy Start and like how healthy the federal Healthy Start came to be and how like the Healthy Start coalitions, which are state funded, came to be. Um, so just a lot of research. And then I also did research on the hospital. So I'm at Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital. Um, it used to just be All Children's Hospital. So I made sure to read up on all of that. Um, the website wasn't as up to date with the with the staff, but I did look at the, I did look, and I'm realizing now they probably noticed, I looked at the previous evaluator, looked them up on LinkedIn mm. and was like, what was their training? Like, what is their history? So just really diving deep into your research, but not being like, when you're in your interview, don't be creepy. You know what I mean? Don't like start talking about, <laughs> I was like, oh, you're old evaluator. I, oh, they went to school here. Or they did this. And I'm, you know, you know, so just doing your research, um, really taking a, before the interview, I would take like a mindfulness moment too, just to help myself relax, like a good five minutes of deep, deep breathing in and out, being very mindful, just to help myself relax. Um, I think today interviews may be easier. Mine was, both of them are virtual. So I think that makes you more comfortable. Like I'm in my house doing the interview. So that helped me. I don't know if it'll help other people, but um, yeah, I think just knowing who you're talking to is very important. Yeah. I know. I feel like a lot of people say that because it's true. It's very true. Yeah. yeah. Which I wish more people had that like online presence. Cause that's easier said than done. Sometimes I remember mm -hmm. um, for like the job talk I was doing for my current position, I tried to do that. And uh, I couldn't find a lot of information about a lot of the people in the department because they didn't have much of an online presence. Um, mm -hmm. And it's also not really a research university. So not all of them are doing all that much research, at least like, like um, publicate publications and journals and stuff like that. So like, a little, you know, tip, I think for everybody, and it sounds like you already do that with LinkedIn, but like to have some sort of online presence of who you are, what your background is in terms of like educational and job experience and, um, you know, any resources or, you know, uh, publications you've done or reports or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. I think also another good skill for when you're applying is expect a question, like, how are you, what can you bring to our organization? What are you going to do different? I think that was one question I got was how would you evaluate the Healthy Start program? Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I knew I didn't know beforehand, but I had looked up, um, I had been kind of diving into the evaluation literature and thinking of it in terms of perinatal health programming. So I was able to articulate a, a way that I would evaluate the program. I didn't know how they were evaluating it already. So it's just things like that. They're probably, be expect like, get ready to answer questions like, what are you going to be able to bring to us? Because I feel like that, I've been at interviews before in the past where that kind of threw me off. I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's so easy, especially, you know, when you've been applying to so many places just to feel like I need a job as opposed to mm -hmm. like, why do you need me? Um, and there's a bit of um, maybe arrogance. I don't know. You, mm -hmm. Your ego has to come into play a little bit. Right. And just be like, no, I, I am perfect for your position. Here's why, or maybe I'm close to perfect. And here's why, or maybe, you know, you said you needed this, but I actually think this skill that I bring mm -hmm. that you didn't put in your job description is a like really good reason why you should hire me is because I can provide this and here's why you need that. Yeah. And so whatever you can do to say like why they need you as opposed to anybody else, because there's a lot of high quality applicants out there. Like how can you distinguish yourself from the rest and show that they should hire you as opposed to anybody else? Mm -hmm. I, it also goes to like knowing your worth. Um, like 
yes, the job process took me a long time. Yes, it can be kind of demeaning, but like that shouldn't, don't let that reflect too much on yourself. Like know your worth. That was like a, a struggle. Like, am I smart enough? Am I good enough for this? I am. And I, I prove that every day in my job. Um, so I definitely like know your worth, know that you are, don't settle. Definitely don't settle because I, a job that you hate is going to be miserable. Um, Cause I, like, I am so happy that I, that my job came along and that I waited before I settled for anything because I love my job. I love my coworkers and I feel like very fulfilled by what I do. Yeah. I think it's really easy to fall into imposter syndrome. And, you know, even I experience that on a very frequent basis of like wondering, do I belong here? Is this what I should be doing? Uh, am I good enough? All that stuff. And yeah, I think when you're applying, just put, push it to the back of your head because everybody has those thoughts. And just remember that you are in a graduate program, most likely, right? Or you have gotten your graduate degree or about to get your graduate degree, or you have all this experience. And um, I was listening to a podcast recently. It reminds me of this. And uh, it's, it was a therapist talking to some people and the therapist had um, one of their clients t- write down 50 of their accomplishments. And that person was like, 50? How do I write 50 accomplishments? I don't have 50 accomplishments. And it took her a while, but once the, once the client finally started writing, it's like, oh, no, I do have 50 accomplishments, right? It could be like, I got an A in this class, right? That, you know, the skill that that I have, or my my friends always come to me with this, showing that I'm like really good at this, or I wrote this thing that did really well, or whatever it might be, like, reminding yourself of all the incredible things that you've done that will help you get into that position that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, with imposter syndrome, I think that that for young and emerging evaluators, that can be a very real thing because a lot of evaluators tend to be uh, later career people, people that have established careers that fell into evaluation. I know when I started, the previous evaluator had years of experience, had been with the program for years, and I'm fresh out of school. I very much had imposter syndrome, but I saw this meme on the internet that I just, I think of this every time that I feel any type of imposter syndrome is that if, even if you are an imposter, you have fooled everybody and made it here. Just keep doing it. Oh, I love that. Oh, such a good way to think about it. Yep. What are the things are there about the job application process that we haven't covered yet? That's really important. I think with, when you're looking on different uh, job sites, especially in evaluation, again, like I said, use LinkedIn, but I know that there are groups on LinkedIn that post evaluation jobs. Um, I think the AEA has a job board. Like there are places to look specifically for evaluation jobs. Now, when you look at a lot of them, they require lots of experience. And then, so that kind of goes back to expanding your job search, Um, but definitely utilizing your connections on LinkedIn. So like if you have a connection to an organization, even if you don't know them that well, you can reach out to them you know, that's, again, kind of the cold email, cold message, uh, whatever your approach is. It's just talking to people. It really just goes back to that networking. Um, I don't think I have any other, anything else to comment on the job, that job, specific job search. When you finally got a job offer from Johns Hopkins, did you do any negotiation for the position in salary and moving costs, whatever you might have had? Mm-hmm. So I did. So that one was really, that was really hard too, because I'd never negotiated a salary before. Mm-hmm. I was, I had called my grandpa because he's like our family's like patriarch that like does all, like tells us those kind of things. Like if you're going to go buy a car, you go talk to him kind of per, like he's like the negotiator does all that. And so he gave me some advice and 
I was still very uncomfortable and awkward asking the question, but what they offered me was not what I was willing to take. I really wanted the job, but I wasn't willing to take that. I was like, I have a master's degree. You're not meeting what I need, especially because I commute from, I live in Tampa, Florida. I commute to St. Petersburg. It's about 45 minutes to an hour in the morning. Um, and gas right now is crazy. So I negotiated, unfortunately, because we're grant funded. I did get a higher salary because I, I mean, it was really, it wasn't as stressful as I thought. I was just like, I want to make this. And they couldn't meet me, but they were able to go up considerably from what they had offered me. Okay. Um, so asking for more money is not as nerve wracking as you, as when you're actually doing it, as it seems, but it definitely up to the point that you do is, is scary. We are grant funded though. So there was a cap on how much I could get paid. Um, they also don't pay higher for graduate degrees, which is oh. odd. Yeah. So they, um, they want, this one was a little weird to me. They wanted somebody with a master's degree. They advertised that in the job, but then when they told me that they, um, they only pay up to a bachelor's degree, which is just, that's, that's, I think it's just. Um, that's a bit know. weird. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't love that, but uh, you know, I, again, I wanted this job. So like, I love, I, it's so worth it. Like I make a good, like I'm happy with what I make for right now, um, being right out of school and for me loving my job and not, you know, cause especially my boss is great. My coworkers are great. Like that's more than I think a lot of people get is just a great working environment. And my boss is really understanding. Like we, if we have mental health days, things like that. So really the, the workplace environment, the job that I do was definitely worth more than the money to me. But I know that that's not the situation for everybody else. I know that finances are a very real thing that we have to take into consideration. So just, again, like know your worth. Yeah. And you really got to hold on to that. Like you have to hold on to that because I know that like they might try to talk you down. It's kind of scary. Just like know what you're worth, find a number that you want to get paid and stick to it. Yeah. And, and, and know what your needs versus wants are, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And so like when you are applying, when you're negotiating, when you get the job offer, then that's where it's really critical, right? Like mm -hmm. what is more important to you getting an extra $5,000 in salary, or is it getting a position that has all these benefits that like the mental health days or yeah. having really great colleagues? Cause I agree. That's, that really makes the job so much more enjoyable. Yeah. And there are definitely like a lot of trade-offs. Like I think I, like I said, I'm happy with what I was able to negotiate my salary up to. Um, it's not exactly what I wanted, but I'm happy with it. Cause again, it was like you said, those needs and those wants. Um, I was also able to negotiate. I get to work from home two days a week, which I know oh, nice. probably doesn't sound great to a lot of people working fully remotely. Um, but I do come into the office two days a week, but I get those two days. Um, so that was part of that negotiation, which I'm happy with. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot of non-monetary things that you can negotiate for um, mm -hmm. to, to consider when you're applying for jobs. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, I agree. I remember when I was doing it as well. Um, it's incredibly stressful to be like, no, you got to pay me more. Right. I, obviously mm -hmm. you don't say it that way, but uh, it's like thinking about how much higher do you go? Like what? Cause you can't, can't be like, Oh, here's an offer for 60 K. it's like, well, actually I'm looking for 120. Can you, can you go up to 120? It's like, uh, yeah. I think we're in two different ballparks right now. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, thinking about how much more can you ask for without, you know, being too much. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause these are also potentially your future coworkers and stuff, but um, they're also, they've hired you, they've chosen you. 
um, mm-hmm. they're probably not going to renege your offer just because you asked for a little bit more money. So I, I think the benefits far outweigh any of the costs associated with asking for more pay or, or negotiating your position. Yeah. And I think that that's a good sign of a good company when you are able to ask, to ask for those things and be comfortable asking for those things, even if they say no, but if they're willing to talk about it, willing to like work with you, that's a good sign of a good company because a company that's not going to like, they're not negotiate with you at all. I, that's, I don't know. That seems like a bad sign to me. Yeah. Or just even explain why they can't do something. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was applying for my position, um, I had asked for a course release my first year um, to help ease me into the new position. We teach, we teach a lot. It's a four, four university. I teach four classes a semester. It's, it's a lot to get into. And so I, I asked for a course release and they're like, that's a hard no. We can't do that. We're a teaching university. Everybody everybody is expected to teach 12 credits, uh, 24 credits a year, basically. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. I'm not, you know, like as much as I think they should offer those, like I get it. And I am understanding of that. I will accept that. Right. Versus mm-hmm. it's like, no, can't do that. Well then like it feels a little more off-putting than if they explain why behind the reasoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think when you're applying for jobs, like know what you're willing to budge on, what you're not willing to budge on, whether that be salary, your um, relocating location, kind of think of, take those things into consideration. I know a lot of jobs, like I said, are, are virtual or um, remote these days, but if you're looking at an in-person position, definitely like know what you're willing to do, willing not to do before you apply and go through that process. I think that was like, that's a good, yeah. good thing to remember when applying to places. And especially if you're relocating, um, think about the local relocation costs or like the living costs in association to your salary. Cause I remember the, the salary that I got for my position. I mean, this is public in, you know, information. You could mm-hmm. technically go find out how much I'm making right now. Cause we're a public university, but um, was a lot lower than I expected. But then thinking about what are the living costs with the place that I'm living at, it's like, oh, this is actually probably a lot better than if I were making $20,000 more in a big city where the Mm -hmm. housing costs would be twice as much or three times as much and food and gas are so much more expensive, all that stuff. So balance that out in your mind. Mm -hmm. And I know that like uh, many evaluation jobs, especially because I still kind of happen to that, like every now and then I'm like on LinkedIn, just looking at jobs, just seeing what's out there. Most of them are virtual, but I know if you're working like me, I work in community health, there's a good chance you're not going to be virtual. Like my, we're, we're interacting with participants, with community members. We're not virtual. Um, yeah. So you got like taking those things into consideration, the type of evaluation, the type of um, evaluation field you want to go into, kind of those things are definitely important to consider. Right. Because if it is virtual and you're doing evaluation work, it's probably meaning a lot of travel to go to mm-hmm. the places where you're going to go do the data collection or meet with the clients or report back out, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it's not going to be 100% virtual in that regard. And I would probably prefer to work in person than to have to travel a lot personally. But like, again, that's something that you have to think about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anything else that we should cover about the evaluation job market, job application process? Um, Not that I can think of. I feel like we covered everything. I feel like a lot of the things we go over are things your professors will say and whatnot over and over. And I used to think that too, like this is just something everybody says like to, and it's, but they're very real. Like it's very important, like, uh, like networking. I really had to like my second year of 
grad school is when I like realized I actually need to do that more because I'm kind of shy talking to people in person that I don't know, but you just kind of got to get over it. Yeah. yeah. There's no easy way around it. You just got to get over that. I mean, same. And that's why I kind of like, like Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff like that. It's a lot easier to meet people that way. And then mm-hmm. you meet them in person. It's like, oh, I've already kind of met you. It's a little less intimidating than to go straight up to some people like, hi, I'm Dana. Yeah. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah, I would definitely recommend for all the young and emerging evaluators, get on Twitter. The evaluation community is small on Twitter, so it's easy to interact with people. So I, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of followers, but I still try my best to interact with a lot of evaluators on there because most evaluators, too, um, are very willing and very eager to talk to younger people wanting to get into the field because we are, you know, somewhat of a smaller professional community. Um, So there's a lot of people that would love to talk to you about evaluation. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So uh, in closing, there's a couple questions that I usually do to wrap up. And one of them is to end with something that I love from uh, this NPR podcast called Code Switch. And they ask what song is giving you life right now, but I'm curious for you, what an evaluation is giving you life right now? Yeah. So in evaluation, I would say the movement to attract more potential and uh, to the, sorry, the movement to attract more potential young and emerging evaluators to the field is really got me living right now um, with evaluation being a later career uh, people, people that fall into it. Um, it's just really awesome to see more young people getting involved. And like I said, there's so many opportunities to meet other young and emerging evaluators. I was just at the AEA Summer Institute and I just got to nerd out with people for three days over evaluation. It was awesome. Um, using Twitter, using all of these things, there's just so many, so many routes for young and emerging evaluators to interact with each other. So I'm, I'm really loving that. Well, I think you've also been getting involved with uh, Eval Youth North America. Yes, yes, I forgot to mention that. So Eval Youth North America, we started, not we, but the American, the Eval Youth North America chapter was chartered in February. So we're just kind of getting off the ground. Um, I'm, on, I'm one of the board members. Um, we are recently just had a few events. Um, we had a lunch with Inspiring Evaluators event, and we're working on more um, to get our young and emerging evaluators interested and involved in the community. Um, we are also launching, well, it's already launched, but we're working on the, the marketing plan and all that. It's called the Kumu map. So it's a map with all of the evaluation programs, university programs, um, and different, different um, evaluation opportunities in North America. So we're hoping that we'll be able to advertise and launch that soon. So that has got me really excited because it'll, get, it'll give um, undergrad students and those interested in getting an academic training in evaluation, an opportunity to see what's actually out there without just having to search evaluation, master's evaluation, PhD. It's really awesome. Yeah, there's that, there's the list that AEA provides of, I think, just North American ones, but I appreciate, um, because I think I've seen it. So is it not already launched? Because I've seen this map. I, I saw your submission. I think you submitted something to it. Yeah. Before. Yeah, it has launched, but I know we're needing to like go in and clean it up a little bit um, and needing to mess with a, a few of the entries, but it is up. I just don't think that we, we haven't really advertised it yet because we're focused on building our, our getting our name out there and whatnot and getting people okay. to know who we are. Um, so we're definitely working on our social media campaigns and things like that. Our social media, we use Twitter and LinkedIn and it's been very active. 
the last few months. Um, so we are, hopefully we'll have more programming in the coming months too, and more opportunities for young and emerging evaluators just get involved with us and with a, the field of evaluation in general. That's very exciting. Yeah, I um, love the map. Um, and, you know, you've only started in February. So I think uh, I'm excited to see more of what comes out of it. But we'll be for, we'll be sure to have the eval youth stuff um, located in the show notes. So if you're interested in finding out more about the North America chapter of eval youth, uh, we'll be in the show notes. Well, Bradley, is there um, just to wrap up what's coming up for you? Um, anything fun, personal or professional wise that you want to share? Um, well, like I said, I just got back from the Summer Institute, and I feel like I learned a lot and made some really connect good connections. I got to meet another evaluator that works in perinatal health, and we are working on collaborating um, something for our program that would be beneficial to her as well. Uh, so nice. it's kind of like a, a good trade-off, and I'm just really excited for that. I'm excited to implement like my own kind of evaluation plan that I'm working on. So just lots of, I'm just excited about evaluation in general. Oh, I love it. Don't lose that. <laughs> um, will you be at AEA in the fall? Um, no, I'm, no, I have not signed up yet. Um, I know that we have our we have a healthy start like national type of conference around that time. Um, so I'm not sure if I don't know how many conferences I'll be at, like my boss will will be willing to pay for. Yeah. Well, New Orleans isn't too far from you, is it? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I mean, we're kind of in the bottom. We're in the Gulf kind of down here, Tampa. Oh, okay. so I'm not sure how, how far that is, but I will definitely look into it because I would love to go. Because like I said, the, the Summer Institute was really good. It's a, not a huge group of people. So I would like to go to the conference to see how more networking again, like more of a, a bigger networking opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine it will be. It's usually a fairly large endeavor. So awesome. Well, hopefully you can come. If not, hopefully a future AA conference, we can meet in person. But thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your experiences, getting into evaluation and getting into your job. Yeah. Thank you so much. I had, um, I just wanted to say too, uh, I started listening to the podcast when I first started my job back in September. And I remember telling myself one day I'm going to be on this podcast. So this is very much a this is very much a full circle moment for me. So I, I really appreciate it. Oh, I really appreciate you reaching out and coming onto the podcast. I love getting to meet new people. And this is my way of networking at this point. And I find so much joy from it. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please visit the podcast website at evalueland.fireside.fm where you can subscribe to get notified of new episodes and contact us with your questions, comments, or suggestions. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Evalueland. Land.